Shut up and sit down. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friend, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Hello. Today, we're joined by my our other very best friend, Brett in Seattle. Hi, Brett. Hello. How's it going? Uh, it's so far so good. We're just having a great time all in our different cities over here. <laughs> Four corners, baby. Four we, corners. we are in the four corners. <laughs> We're just missing Miami, but not really missing at all. We have Brett with us because Brett is a sex educator in Washington State, and we want to talk about it. So, Brett, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're doing, and why we should listen to you on this topic? Sure. So, my name is Brett Neeson, and I currently live in Seattle, Washington. I work at a nonprofit called Cardia Services, and there I train teachers to do sex education, probably about 15 different curricula. So I do it through a couple different projects. One is federally funded. I work with school districts, but also places like foster care agencies, juvenile detentions, mental health institutions, drug and alcohol rehab. So basically anywhere that teens would be. And I also do teacher training for a specific curriculum called Positive Prevention Plus all throughout California. And there's a couple other small projects we do with the State Department of Ed where I do trainings that are like skill-based called Foundations or uh, on another specific curriculum called Flash all throughout Washington State. And then I have a side job. So for the past five years, I know, I know. Um, I have a side job where I teach public health a class called Community Development to public health grad students at University of Washington. Wow, you're busy. That's awesome. Yeah. So sex. What yes. drew you to this topic? Oh, come on. Isn't it obvious? <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to say it for the audience. I would say I got little to no sex ed as a kid. I do remember my eighth grade female PE teacher saying, boys, you get 2,000 ejaculations in your life and then you're done. Oh, I've already hit that limit. Well, I think in eighth grade, we were all scared we'd hit that limit. Um, <laughs> I, I think I remember like kind of guessing or counting. And like when 2001 happened, I thought like a little cloud of dust would come out or something. <laughs> but thankfully, she was wrong. So then I went to University of Delaware. I was pre-med in psychology, and I took this class called Foundations of Human Sexuality taught by Dr. Wilgen. I was totally fascinated by everything that she had to teach, and I was totally annoyed that I had never heard any of these things before. So I wound up becoming a TA for her class, and then that kind of hooked me. And I you know, wound up teaching and then went to grad school, and I kind of focused on sex education. And I've gone through a series of jobs since then to kind of get where I am today. What are, what are sort of the actual requirements for high school or I guess any public education institution. Are you required to do it or no? For sex ed, you mean specifically? Sex ed. Mm -hmm. It depends a lot on the state. Okay. So this is one of those issues where states are given, you know, local control. And then even within states, local school districts might be given more local control. So I'll tell you, for example, in Washington, we have 
one of the first, you know, fairly good sex ed laws, which was passed in 2008, and it says if you teach sex ed, then it has to meet these like 20 requirements, mm -hmm. meaning like it has to be LGBT inclusive, it has to be medically accurate, it has to talk about abstinence, but also birth control and condoms, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. California one-upped us a couple years ago and they said all districts must teach sex ed and it must meet these you know let's say 40 requirements so they kind of expanded the list and they said every district has got to do it so other states it totally depends you know i'm sure that um alabama you don't have they just throw a stick and a stone at you and they're like there there it is yeah no, stop yeah. i'm trying to remember pennsylvania because i was never exposed to sex education in high school or elementary school or middle school or anything. So, I, re no. I remember oh. in, in like fifth and sixth grade getting kind of basic puberty ed, like boys and girls were separated. Yep. The male taught the boys, the female teacher taught the girls. Oh, I remember my male teachers telling something about like how he, he would wear corduroy shorts to like mow his lawn and how he wore all the cord out of his Roy while like mowing his lawn. And I, all of us were so super Is confused. This a and I wasn't. I don't know. I don't know what he was trying to say. But it's like an example of why we want teachers to use these, you know, evidence-based curricula and stick to them because we don't want them veering off into these like weird anecdotes that are bizarre or hurtful or just not helpful. Wait, wait, wait. So was mowing the lawn, was that, wait, was he actually mowing his lawn? Maybe. I think it was a, vague reference to the fact that like he was hung oh, which is really okay. bizarre to be saying to a group of fifth grade boys bizarre at a minimum yeah. it's a generous yeah. way of saying yeah. it yeah we could also go illegal but I, I i remember in fifth or sixth grade they pulled it they separated us out we still had a female teacher who was telling us all about sex we watched a movie the only thing i can remember about that conversation was that some guy in my class named dan raised his hand and said do you have to get naked to have sex and the teacher said, no, you can just unzip your zipper and stick it through that way. And I remember thinking, huh, everything I know is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and ever since you've been trying no. to have sex by just Listen, opening your zipper, I, you haven't figured it out I, yet, I, but you're going to well, get there. That whole, the only reason I can remember, that's the only thing I remember is because the rest of that class, in my head, I was trying to like figure out, but like the zipper would get in the way and like everything's just going to get wet. I had a lot of information about sex at that point anyway, but I just couldn't figure it out. It wasn't until years later I was like, that's bad advice. You should take your <laughs> pants off. Just take your <laughs> pants off. Mm -hmm. Who isn't that much of a rush? You know, sticking your penis through a metal zipper. That's the other thing. That's the other thing. Well, so advice, yeah. How do, how do parents traditionally react when they find out that sex education is going to be happening in their school? Uh, well, there are all of these national surveys, and they've been done year after year, and overwhelmingly, the parent acceptance rate of sex ed is, it's almost always in the like 85 to 95% oh. range. So universally, parents want their kids to get sex ed, and there's been more specific questions like, do you want sex ed to talk about sexual orientation and gender identity? And I think the last time I saw like middle school parents, 75% said yes. And of high school, like 82% said yes. In so where you are in Seattle. Or these are national, national surveys. I'm shocked. I don't tend to work as much with like Seattle or King County. We're working with rural 
more conservative districts because they've not really started doing sex ed yet. So that's why they're coming into our grant program is we're getting them started. And, you know, there's, there's a certain turnover of like school board members or superintendents or curriculum directors. So I think we're starting to see younger people who are more open to sex ed, even in a rural, rural or conservative area. And they all start off with like, we're really afraid of what parents will say. Or maybe they've already had like a bad run in at a school board meeting. But time after time, once these programs get started, the percent of parents who opt their kids out, it's like 1% or 2% or 3%. And it's always like a fear of the unknown about sex ed. But once it gets started, parents are like, oh, that's all it is? Or, oh, I'm having these great conversations with my kid now. They almost universally come around to thinking it's a really good thing. What is now, the parents' conception of what the sex ed is going to be that they are so pleasantly surprised? You know, I think they're gay afraid. Gay teachers making their kids gay? Yeah, I think they're they're afraid that like if you talk about gender identity, it will make their kids trans. If you talk about condoms, it will encourage kids to go have sex. If you talk about, you know, abortion, kids will run out and get abortions. I think in some ways too, they're actually fearful potentially because of the their own upbringing, right? Because if you think about the things we're saying, some of the interactions with your teachers were slightly inappropriate right because it's like you didn't have a, a set curricula and also i think the public conversation is very faulty i, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean this that's is, an understatement sure. to the extreme yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah in fact just sorry just this morning i was uh, maybe foolishly but stepping into a facebook conversation between some parents so one of them is like a peace corps volunteer that i knew she lives in florida and she's obviously friends with a bunch of other moms in florida And they were saying these completely false things about the HPV vaccine and like, you know, they didn't want to give it to their kids and blah, blah, blah. And I was really blown away by how much false information they were very assuredly saying in this thread. And I'm like, you know, look, here's the latest, you know, review study of HPV vaccination and here's the cancers it prevents and here's the nine strains it prevents. And there were tons of things they were saying that were just patently false. So you mentioned you all sounds like support multiple curricula. Are there certain like overarching principles or like what, you know, from where you sit, what makes a high quality curriculum in this area? Yeah, so there are curricula that fall in the category of abstinence only. And so that means you can't talk about condoms, you can't talk about birth control. Usually they're not going to talk about orientation or gender identity. It's just going to be don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Comprehensive sex ed means this curriculum is going to talk about abstinence and condoms and birth control and pregnancy options and body parts and how they work and gender identity and sexual orientation and you know youth have the right to get health care without parent permission that's related to like a pregnancy test or an std test or, or an abortion care it's going to talk about laws and policies you know that people have to follow it's going to talk about harassment and bullying you know so comprehensive sex ed is is going to address a wider range of topics. And then there's another kind of facet, which is called evidence-based interventions. So that means it's a curriculum where they have like a research group and a control group. 
and they gave pre and post tests and maybe they followed up months or years later and they found that the kids who went through the research group actually had better health outcomes. So they waited longer to have sex, they had fewer partners. If they had sex, they used more condoms or they used more birth control. So my program, we have to pick from that list of evidence-based interventions. So they've gone through a research study, they've been proven to have some kind of positive impact. A lot of abstinence programs have gone through those studies and been proven not to work or in some cases to harm students. But because of our current administration, like under Obama, funding for that pretty much got zeroed out. Under Trump, funding has kind of gotten increased again. And they've also done this rebranding. It's now called SRA or sexual risk avoidance. They're trying to not use the abstinence word, but it's kind of the same thing. At the end of the day, what is this resistance to this information about? Is it really just, is it homophobia? Is it transphobia? At the end of the day, like all the adults who are fighting this have information about sex. Like they're now adults and they know what they knew and didn't know, right? And they know what works and doesn't work on some level. Like what is that control really about, do you think? I think you're right. I think a lot of it is homophobia and transphobia. Those are often the issues or like the specific lessons that my school districts will say they're they're nervous about or they think will get the most pushback is some of the curricula we have have a lesson that's specifically about defining terms around sexual orientation and gender identity. And a lot of them are really basic, like these are the definitions and these people exist and don't beat up or tease or bully them. That's That's honestly like the high level message of a lot of these lesson plans. Parents, I think, are afraid that if you talk about them or you even define these terms, their kids will become gay or trans or bi or, you know, lesbian. I mean, that's what happened to me. But even before that, because we didn't actually, when I was young, we didn't actually discuss identities, but there was still like pushback. I mean, there was such a drama about who got their slip signed to be in this class and who didn't. Mm. It was sort of like a, I don't know how to conceptualize this in this current age, right? But like, maybe pro-pregnancy, this idea that we should tell children to use condoms, people specifically had problems with that. Is that still something that you see? Like, is that still something that you encounter? People's resistance, or is it more about the homophobia, transphobia thing? You bring up a good point. Condoms is also the lesson that freaks people out because, you know, I mentioned those evidence-based curricula. There's even deeper research about like specifically what activities have been proven to work really well. And like a condom demo is one of the classic examples of like a really worthwhile, impactful activity. And the more you let the kids like open the condom wrapper, actually unroll it, you know, practice putting it on something, the more likely they're going to do it correctly when they're in a real life situation. And schools freak out like, oh, either we can't do the condom lesson or maybe we can have the teacher demonstrate, but there's no way we can have the kids touch them. So yeah, there's just sort of fear that if a kid touches a condom, then boom, they're gonna go have sex. Right. Also not for nothing, they put them on bananas, which I think just sets the expectations way too high for many young adults. Well, Um, for the record, uh, you should not, using good educational practice, put condoms on fruit or vegetables. You should either use a wood penis model or even just like your fingers. Because I don't know, I think there's just something about putting on fruit and vegetable that makes it sort of comical or, you know, there's actually this very old Peace Corps 
kind of maybe called a rural legend of like the educator put the condom on the banana and a month later a gentleman comes and says i did what you said i put the condom on the banana sat on the nightstand and then had sex with my wife and she got pregnant what happened God. that person should have been immediately arrested i'm seeking a very practical question here is the sex education course a part of a particular subject or is it on its own like is it in bio or it totally depends okay. state to state, school okay. district to school district, and even sometimes school to school. Um, okay. So I think, I think uh, in elementary, you know, teachers are generalists, so they might be teaching science, but they might also be teaching math, English, and reading. Mm-hmm. In middle school, it's often like a science or a bio teacher. And in high school, it could be like family and consumer science. It could okay. be biology, or they have these like you know, career and technical education classes that are sort of like pre-medical classes, and it might be covered in that. Mm, Interesting. What's the sort of point of comparison in terms of maybe like internationally, how other countries approach sex education and the contrast you see? Yeah. In other words, are we doing it all wrong? No. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what you're getting at, right? No. no, We're doing it all wrong. Well, because I think there's a sense in the U.S. that this is a sort of natural parental fear, right? And so I'm just curious about how other folks are orienting to it and and how, how it looks abroad or other spaces. So I would say in general, it's widely understood that Europe is literally decades ahead of us in this like they've got sex ed embedded in education starting in kindergarten being taught every year all the way up through 12th grade what goes along with that is that europe has very low teen pregnancy rates very high birth control and condom use rates by teens their general health outcomes are much better and i think a lot of it is due to their education something interesting that's been happening in california so they've got this law making sex ed mandatory And in some communities, people who are recent immigrants from Asia, so these are not rural conservative red state communities. These are like like tech workers, let's say, very educated, but they're bringing cultural views and that this should not be talked about in school. And so so there's a lot of organized pushback, you know, from, from that aspect. I think like I spent two years in Thailand and Thailand was pretty unique in the sense that they really tackled HIV early on and they talked about condoms early on. And, you know, culturally, Thai people do not talk about sex in public. So this was kind of a big shift for them. But that was one of the things I did was training health teachers um, about things like HIV. Meth was becoming big then and and talking about condoms. Sex ed. In America, it's sort of like people want that to be in the family sphere. Yeah. But every consumer interaction we have is about sex, which is interesting to me because like it's literally everywhere used to sell everything. And somehow the conversation doesn't go too well since it's in everything. People should understand it. It's like, no, go home and ask your parents the meaning of every single media you've ever seen. It's odd, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if any of you were watching that show on HBO called Euphoria. The thing I found, I find really interesting about it is like, you know, there's these two prominent characters where you could say one is a trans girl and one is pansexual, but they don't really throw those terms around. It's just like, these are people who are having a relationship and 
all the other characters, which are all high school students, have this just total non-reaction to it. And it just, I don't know, like, it also sort of tackles some of the darker parts of teenage behavior. And there have been some articles about how it actually is pointing to behaviors that most of today's teenagers aren't doing, you know? So it's kind of stoked these fears. I think it represents a very small portion of today's teens. They just happen to be focusing on like, you know, I think one kid uh, is dealing drugs. One kid is addicted to drugs. One is like making internet porn with, a, yeah. you know, and showing it that to adults. Show is and dark. What's been your sense about how parents are tackling sex? How how do they introduce the topic to their kids? Are they introducing the topic when they save it? They don't want you to talk about it. Are they offering a contrast? <laughs> <laughs> I think it really varies, like, you know, state to state, family to family, faith to faith. I know some people who I was in public health graduate school with who started having very frank conversations with their two and three and four year olds. And then I think there are folks from religious families where even today they're having zero conversation about it and will continue to have zero conversation about it. But overwhelmingly, data on that. Is there national data on parents and sex? Well, overwhelmingly, parents want schools to teach it. Like something that we always tackle in our teacher trainings is this idea of values. We say to teachers, "Look, there are some values you should teach. Like, if someone says no, don't have sex with them. Hello. Or if someone's like unconscious or you know under 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 the influence, or like family members should not have." sex with each other. Humans should not have sex with animals. Like those are values that we can teach to everybody. When you get to stuff like abortion, uh, LGBT issues, masturbation, or like when's the right age to have sex, that's when we use what's called this values question protocol. So it's like, okay, I'm going to describe, let's say we're, we're talking about abortion. So some people think abortion is never okay in any circumstance. Some people think it's okay, you know, maybe in the first trimester. Some people think it's okay if in the case of rape or incest. And some people think no matter what the situation is, it's the person who's pregnant's choice to have it. So what we would say is, you know, if you want to understand your values about that, that's a great conversation to have with your parents or another adult that you trust. So that's kind of the way that we'll handle values is like there's some you teach as universal and there's some where you describe the range so we would never want a teacher to say like you know abortion is bad no kid no one should ever do it we want them to say this is the range of what people think and like if we get to you know let's say lgbt kids we might say you know people have a range of values and beliefs about people who are lgbt but what everyone should know is they exist they're everywhere and you have no right to tease or bully or hurt them, mm-hmm. no matter what your personal beliefs are. How does the prevalence of porn that kids have a lot of ability to access, whether intentionally or not, how does that interact with the work you do? And one thing I'll just say is it would seem that uh, it would be a reasonable concern that the growing prevalence and accessibility of pornography, video pornography on the internet could lead to more dangerous sexual behavior. But I don't think that's necessarily been the case. I don't know what the causality is, but those two things have not, that has not been the trend. So Mm -hmm. I just love to hear your thoughts about 
how does sex ed interact with this growing availability of pornography that kids can access without any kind of parental oversight? Yeah, that's a great and thorny question. I would say, first of all, access to porn has changed dramatically, like in the last 10 years or 20 years. You know, basically any kid now, even if they don't have a cell phone, if they have like an iPad or a laptop or, or access to the internet, they can use a proxy server, they can bypass parent controls, they can pretty much see anything they want, you know, yep. on the internet. You know, there's there's been some talk that like today's teens might actually be having less sex partially because they do have access to porn. So they might be, you know, let's say masturbating more frequently because they have, have access to porn. And, and I think we're also just seeing, you know, fewer and fewer kind of like face-to-face -face interactions between people. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been like on the subway here in Seattle and I see a group of teens and they're, they're with each other, but they're literally texting each other while sitting next to each other, yeah. you know, or they're, they're talking about a text that they just saw, but then like through Snapchat or something. And I think very few curricula really directly address porn. There's a few out there that do, but it's, it's pretty rare that schools are okay with that. But I, I really wish that more did because, you know, I think kids need to, need to be able to know that, like, there's porn that's professionally made and it's it's acted, it's false, you know, because right. sometimes it can portray behaviors that look really violent. Kids need to know the difference between, like, what is acting and what is real, you know, and nope. kids are now taking selfies or videos, you know, either of themselves naked or themselves having sex or doing a sex act. And I think kids are still learning this idea that like, according to current law, that's making child pornography. And when you Snapchat it, that's distributing child pornography. And if you get it on your phone and you don't tell an adult, that's possession of child pornography. Wow. So I feel but like that needs to be talked about too. In this, in this modern day and age, even in like the day and age when we were coming up, like Pornography, at best, you're going to learn bad habits. At worst, you're going to learn terrible, violent behavior. But the thing is that you're learning. Like, is pornography, it's like Jason's question, pornography is sex education. And if it is sex education, right, what kind of interaction should educational bodies have with the people who make it? And I know this is a very radical idea, but it's something I've been thinking about for a long time. At the end of the day, when you ask most people the first time they've ever seen people having sex, they'd say it's in porn. Right. So like what what kind of conversation needs to be happening between educational governmental bodies and the people who make porn? There should be regulations in porn. I know in California there are laws passed about you have to have condoms in porn, et cetera. Do you have mm. any comment on that? Whew, this is really tough because professional porn is made all over the world. So getting any kind of laws to be agreed upon in all those different places seems pretty challenging. And I think, you know, particularly over the last 10 to 20 years is this explosion in amateur porn. So there's no like company or producer or director, you know, like legal constraints you can put on what, what porn people produce in their own home as like mm -hmm. a, you know, a single sort of entrepreneur. You know, I think I think California tried in terms of like requiring frequent HIV and STD testing and wanting there to be condoms. But I think we all know there's there's a whole bunch of porn. And, you know, by some people, it's highly sought out that specifically doesn't have condoms in it. 
So even if California were to outlaw it, well, let's say in the state next door, they would they could make it, you know, without condoms. And I think it was really challenging to get governments to make universal laws about it. But hmm. I think it's something no one's tackling, to be honest. Although, you know, you know what I will say now that I think about it is I think in the effort to reduce human trafficking, things like Craigslist and what is it, Backpage, you know, they basically were, were taken down. I, I don't know the data on like what impact that had on trafficking because some people say by not having a single ad space like Backpages, now everyone is sort of in these other little yeah. websites or who knows what methods they're using to find clients. And it's now in a way kind of harder to track them down. Speaking of actually, does sex education include sex work? Conversations about sex work? <clears throat> Pretty infrequently, mm. I would say. Like in California, they have made trafficking and specifically sex trafficking part of the curriculum. So I think it's just an effort to educate kids that if you have someone who is forcing you to have sex with other people for money, uh, and particularly like you're not seeing any of that money, like that is called trafficking. And here, this is how you recognize it. And these are places you can go to to get help to get out. But I don't think a frank talk about sex work that like adults who voluntarily choose to get into is, is really happening. Mm. Do you even think that's relevant? I think we've done so much to sort of push the conversation forward about sex work. And so I wonder in some sense if just sex education in general and people's kind of fears about it would lead you to pretend that that doesn't exist, that people legitimately choose sex as a form of employment for, you know, for themselves and others. And, yeah. I just was reading an article where I never thought of this before, but they were talking about how like basically, you know, cities gear up for like when the Super Bowl happens yep. be because a whole bunch of sex workers are going to be in that city for that, you know, long weekend. Mm -hmm. These things, they're in the news, you know, <laughs> so kids are reading the right. news. So why don't we in a school environment, you know, talk about what that means? so that kids can like get questions answered and it can be fact-based. Because I think when you don't talk about it, then you end up with memes, you end up with like these obscure little like Reddit groups or, or just, you know, kids talking in the back of the bus about something that's totally false. Or like, you know, these parents I was just referring to on this Facebook page who had all this totally false Im uh, information about the HPV vaccine and they're, they're talking as if they know what they're talking about. But also um, homeschooling. If you're homeschooling your kids, are you then required to make that a part of it? I mean, in states where it's required, I would assume, like in California, a few, I know a couple of people who are homeschooling. And mm -hmm. you've made, and, and since we've made um, sex ed a requirement, I'm curious to see how that gets tackled in a homeschool curriculum. <laughs> you, you know, I, I really have no idea. And I would say that probably totally depends on the parent. Not always, but I think a lot of times parents who homeschool are from maybe a very conservative faith background and they're homeschooling because they don't want their kid to yeah. learn about sex ed or mm -hmm. evolution or you know what other Kinds whatever other yeah. science. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
Uh, but 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 you know, even for the kids, even for the kids who who are in school, part part of the law in almost every state is a very uh, strong message that parents have the right to opt their kid out of one or some or all of the sex ed lessons. Mm -hmm. So even if they are in public school, a parent does have the right to opt their kid out. Brett, in wrapping up, looking backwards and forwards, because you've been doing this for a long time, if we look at 10 years ago and 10 years from, from now, where do you think sex education's going in America? Like the right way, the wrong way? You know, there've been these obviously like really upsetting setbacks like, you know, Planned Parenthood and a bunch of states just refused Title X funding because the federal government said you cannot refer people for abortions if you get federal, federal, you know, family planning money yeah. or like, you know, transgender folks being supposedly barred from the military. So th there's things recently that are sad that are happening, but I think the overall arc is that sex ed is getting better. You know, if you look at the data, the teen health outcomes are all getting better. Like there's, there's fewer cases, or there's fewer teen pregnancies or unwanted pregnancies. Teen STDs are getting a, a little worse, but I think HIV transmission is getting better. I think we still have a lot of health disparities based on race and income for some of these things. But I think like the Me Too conversation has been great for getting more of a national discussion about like sexual harassment and assault out there. And more survivors are telling their stories. And I think more perpetrators are losing their jobs or getting kicked out of college or, um, you know, or going to prison. I think the Affordable Care Act made, you know, Medicaid more available and it meant birth control was more available to folks at free or no cost. And I think we're talking about, you know, stigma and mental health more, which is directly related to trauma and the risky behavior that people do, you know, because of that trauma. I think where we need to go is, like we've talked about, I think we need to talk more about porn. We need to talk about these hand TVs we all have, these cell phones and the apps and like social media and how it is putting us in these bubbles. And some of these bubbles are fairly fact-free. I think we need to talk about how phones are changing the way that we interact with people and the way we deeply read or deeply think. I think that's not really happening quite yet. I think the consent conversation is going in the right direction, more and more talked about and more and more understood by young people. Mm. Brett, if you could make a recommendation, something that you think people should see, hear, read, or experience on this topic, what would you recommend? I would say the number one thing, and this is particularly if you are a parent or you're a young person, is to look at the sex ed curricula that your kid is being taught. There's often a lot of fear about that, but when you really look at the lessons and you really see what they're teaching, you see that they're very common sense, they're very much based on research, and there's a lot of evidence that they actually make kids healthier. Brett? Thank you so much for talking to us about sex. I could talk about sex with you all day long, if you Me know too. what I mean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think we have done that in the past. And so. We certainly have. Use your imagination, listeners. Anyway, <clears throat> Brett, thank you so much for joining us. This was super helpful. I know I learned a lot. Jason's going to go home and talk to his kids about sex right now. Uh, check their curriculum, all of that. <laughs> all the bananas. No, no more bananas. No more bananas. No, no more bananas. 
If you take anything away from this episode, it's that you should not eat bananas. Uh, <laughs> and on that note... All right, bye. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Shut up and sit down.